Hello everybody, welcome to episode 5 of the Embers Collective podcast. My name is Sarah Lisa and I'm going to be telling you a story from the Kalevala, which is the Finnish national epic. So here, for you, is the story of Lemminkainen's mother. A long, long, long time ago, there was a woman sat by a fire. She wasn't young. Little lines creased the soft, hanging pouches of her cheeks. Her back was bent over, like a bow, and she had this nagging pain in her hip that just would not go, no matter how close she shuffled herself to the flames. And she was frowning. But it wasn't because of her various aches and pains. It was because she didn't know where her son was. Her son's name was Lemminkainen. You've probably heard of him. As the greatest warrior that Finland ever produced. Or maybe as the most powerful shaman. Or perhaps as the most disarming or alarming ladies man. But whatever he was, he wasn't there because he'd had this massive fight with his wife and he'd stormed off shouting about going to wage war on the people of the North because, you know, he was a hero and that was the kind of thing that heroes needed to do. Even though his mother had told him several times, terrible idea. Had he listened to her? No. Had he come back? No. And as the old woman sat there, she thought, you know, it isn't right. It is not correct that a mother doesn't know where her own son is in the world, that she created, that she cultivated. And so she called up to the great creator himself, Yumala, and she asked him for a sign. And just then, she saw on the floor a comb and a brush that her son had flung against the wall before he'd gone in a fit of pique. And she noticed that the teeth of that comb were oozing with a thick red blood. And the bristles of the brush were bubbling with a sticky black gore. So as signs went, it wasn't a good one. And her old heart stuttered in her breast. And she could have cried. She could have sat there and wept and wailed for a hundred years. But there wasn't time. So instead of crying, she lifted up the hem of her dress. She eased her old body off the stool. And she ran. And as she ran, her legs lengthened beneath her. Her spine straightened and her arms died to slice through the air. And as she ran, the mountains crumbled beneath her feet. The valleys rose up to meet her. And when the trees in the forest saw her coming, they sprang out of the earth into one another's branches and got out of the way. And she ran until she came to the very north of the land. And when she was there, she called out for the witch, the hag that ruled over it. Her name was Lohi. And Lohi heard her. And even though Lemminkainen's mother had grown a good six inches on that journey, Lohi was taller still, with her thighs like oak trees, and her eyes like knives, and her teeth and her heart like iron. 
And she towered over the little old woman, but Lemminkainen's mother met her gaze and she said, have you seen him? Have you seen my son? And Lohi smiled, but it was a kind of smile a shark might give you. Your son, she said. Now, isn't he the loud one? Yes, he was here. We uh, had a bite to eat together. I gave him some beer and then I put him on a horse and I sent him on his way. Has he not come back? Oh, dear. Well, you know, maybe he's been set upon by a wolf or eaten by a bear. These things do happen. You're a liar, said Lemminkainen's mother. My son is no wolf's prey. He is no bear's meat. He could take a wolf and a bear one hand behind his back. You tell me the truth or I'm going to make you regret it. You tell me the truth or I will cause havoc in your land. Well, then the smile left Lowy's lips. And she said, all right, old woman, you want the truth? He was here, your son. He wanted to marry my daughter, the maid of the north, but I wasn't going to let him have her. Him with a wife back at home. So I said if he wanted a chance, he was going to have to complete a little task. And I sent him to go and shoot the black swan that glides on the dark water in the land of the dead. But I don't know why he hasn't come back. His britches bulging for a bride. And then Lemminkainen's mother turned pale. And she staggered just a little where she stood. She said, the land of the dead? No. No. He wouldn't go there. Maybe you're right, said Lohi. Maybe he bottled it. For all I know, old woman, he could be anywhere. So Lemminkainen's mother looked everywhere. She searched the forests in the shape of a great she-bear. And when she didn't find him there, she became a wolf. And she ran and loped over every swamp and every marsh. And when she couldn't find him there, she became an otter. And she swam and dove through every river and every lake. And when she couldn't find him there, she shrank herself right down. She became a tiny little ant that scurried and crept over every rock and every stone. She asked a pine tree, tall and still, have you seen him? Have you seen my son? And the pine tree, its voice creaking with age, said, Mother, I have got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son. Wasn't I planted here in evil days only to be chopped and hacked at for kindling? She asked a road, this dusty little forgotten path. Have you seen him? Have you seen my son? And the road, puffing with dust with every word, said, Mother, I have actually got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son. Wasn't I laying here in evil days, only to be rolled and trodden on by every horse and cart? She asked the moon, have you seen him? Have you seen my son? Mother, I have got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son. Wasn't I thrown up here in evil days to shine cold and alone on evil deeds? She asked the sun. You must have seen him. You must have seen my son. And the sun dipped his great golden face as low as he could go. And he said, Mother, 
I have. And this is what the son saw. Lemminkainen rode through the forest, straight towards the gates of the land of the dead. But when his horse realised where they were going, he began to rear up and try and get away, but the hero just urged him on. He kicked out at the men guarding the gate and he aimed his bow straight and true at that black swan gliding on the dark water. But there was someone else there already. A shadow lurking at the water's edge, a man with a grudge deep in his heart against Lemminkainen because the hero had insulted him. And when he felt him approach, he plucked a little snake from the water and threw it like a dart. The fangs pierced Lemminkainen's heart. He tried to pluck the snake from his chest, but his fingers were stiffening. His body was twitching, convulsing, and he fell from his horse and sank beneath that dark water. When Lemminkainen's mother heard what the son had seen, her old heart stumbled in her breast. And she could have cried. She could have sat there and wept and wailed for a thousand years. But there wasn't time. So instead of crying, she ran. She ran to the blacksmith's forge. The blacksmith's name was Ilmarinen. He was a red-headed, red-bearded, red-faced, smoke-stained, sweat-streaked fella. And she asked him to make her a rake of copper a hundred fathoms long with prongs of iron five hundred fathoms and the smith got to work with his tools and his flames and his spells and his incantations and when it was ready she lifted it still warm in her hands and she called down to the sun again and the sun dipped his great burnished face as low as he could go and he shone for her hot and fierce and strong straight on to the gates of the land of the dead and so the men who were guarding them, stretched and uh, yawned and uh, <sighs> slept. And Lemminkainen's mother walked in. In the land of the dead, it was quiet. The only sound was a rasp of the grey grass against her feet as she walked. A raven flew by close to her head, went to cling with its claws on the bare branch of a dead tree. She reached the river. The water flowed dark and silent before her. She stepped in. And it was so cold. It bit her right to the bone. She took another step. The cold reached her knees, another step, it reached her thighs, another step, and when she was there, waist deep in the water, she raked. And raked. And raked. Until she felt the rake stick. The prongs catching on something, and so she heaved with all of her might, and as she did, she saw something. Limp and white, rising up through that black water, a hand skewered on the prongs, followed by an arm mottled, a shoulder dislocated, a torso ripped and torn, a leg hanging limp and half a head. She carried the remains of her son's body to the shore, but half his skull was gone. Another leg ripped clean away, pockets of flesh gouged out all over his body, and the raven on the branch said, Aah! He's dead! 
chuck him back in. If you're lucky, he'll become a fish. If you're really lucky, a pike. My son is no fish, said Lemminkainen's mother. And she stepped back in. And she raked again. She raked up every bit of him. Every bone, every piece of flesh, every hair, every eyelash. And once she had all of him laid out in front of her, she put him back together. She placed bone to bone. She pressed flesh to flesh. She sewed with the tiniest of stitches, sinew to sinew, and as she worked, she spoke her spells. She sang out her incantations. She cleansed his skin. She brushed his hair until he was golden. Perfect, as beautiful as he had ever been. But there was still no breath in him, no rise and fall of his chest. And then she wept. She lay down by his side. She wrapped her arms around him. But as she looked up, through her tears, she saw a little speck of gold, a little dart of brightness against that grey sky, a little bee. And she called up, little bee, little bee, would you do something for me? Would you go up to the kitchen of the gods and bring me down some nectar? And the little bee, in a very humble, said, me? Are you sure? Because that sounds like a really important job. You, you don't want somebody bigger. But it was his to do. And so up he flew, higher than he had ever been before. Past the moon, <gasps> past the stars, <gasps> all the way to the kitchen of the gods. And when he was there, he saw great gold and silver bowls full of nectar and the scent, the mist coming up from them. It was intoxicating. The little bee almost lost his head, but he remembered his job. And he dipped his wings into the nectar and he flew down, careful not to spill a drop. And Lemminkainen's mother tasted it. And it was sweet. And so she anointed her son's eyelids and nostrils and lips and throat all the way down his body. And then she waited. And then there was a flickering and a fluttering. And then there was a... <gasps> Mother? Oh, what a strange dream I've been having. What a long sleep I must have had. Oh. I feel stiff from top to toe. You would have been a lot stiffer, son, if it wasn't for me. Right, well, uh, you know, can't just be lying round here all day. You know, there's a lass up north that needs a damn good wooing. There's some men up there that need a bloody good thrashing. No, she said, absolutely not. This is not the moment to be wooing lasses or thrashing men. This is the moment to be going home seeing your own wife. This is the moment to be spending a bit of time with your mother. And obviously Lemminkainen was about to argue with her, but there was something about the tone of her voice. And when he looked at her, he thought, she a bit taller than normal. And so he decided to let her get away with it. And he took her arm. And together the two of them walked out of the land of the dead. But as they did, Lemminkainen stopped and said, hang on a minute, where are we? I'll tell you. And as she told him, 
The sun dipped his great crimson face as low as he could go, and he lit their path all the way home. What a wonderful epic. Thank you, Sarah Lisa. That was brilliant. Um, so we are here with Lonan Jenkins. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tim Carp. Hi. Myself, Sean Kidd, and the very brilliant Sarah Lisa Wilkinson. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah Lisa, tell us more about the story. Where, why did you choose that, that one to tell us? Um, well, it is... Um, like I said at the beginning, from The Colour Villa, which is um, a collection of Finnish stories, really. It's kind of like known as our big Finnish national epic. And my mother is from Finland. A lot of my family are from Finland, are in Finland. And so I've been aware of The Colour Villa, like, ever since I remember being aware of lots of things. And so when I first started storytelling, they were some of the first stories that I kind of gravitated to mm. or looked at. So that's, that's a why. It's one of my favourite ones. I don't know, I'm not a big Kalevala ex expert. <laughs> Sometimes I can't say it. Either. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really love that story. It's got mm. so much wonderful imagery mm. in it though. It's such a like journey and mm. takes you to so many places. Um, yeah, I think, because I, I was sort of, um, the character of Lemminkainen like turns up a lot. He's like one of the main kind of characters in the epic. He's like got a cycle, or at least one mm. cycle, maybe two cycles about him. And... I never really liked Lemminkainen. I just thought he was a bit of a dick. You know, he was <laughs> always, arrogant. you know, he was always just like charging off to like make people marry him or like going to parties <laughs> where he wasn't invited. And I was like, oh, that was so, <laughs> so over you. Hey, we, all, we all know a Lemminkainen. Yeah. And then, um, but then I was like, oh, I really like this story about his mother. Um, so that's kind of why I liked it. I don't tell any stories just about him. I don't tell any stories when he's alive all the way through. <laughs> um, but there is a, this amazing um, Swedish-Finnish storyteller called Mikael Ober, who um, tells Lemminkainen stories. And through him, I've started to like him a little bit. Mm. Maybe he's not all bad. He does do some really good things in stories. Like what? Um, he Well, he does go to parties where he's not invited. And... Um, <laughs> I can't know. He's not the one who ends up in a giant because I think that's Vainamoinen. But yeah, I mean, I think when you embrace him and embrace his soul, he's not really a lout. He is like a hero, but he's just got loutish tendencies. Mm. I think. I think so. Many of the heroes are like that across across mythology and folklore. They're 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 characters that you just kind of just yeah, like you said, they're just kind of a bit of a dick, mm. and they just always rush off into battle or rush off mm. to, you know shag someone or do something yeah. stupid mm. and then it's always someone else that has to sort out their mess or go mm. look can you just calm down a little bit or just stop <laughs> with the mm. killing like we can not kill you mm. know sometimes and I love your story because it, it takes that perspective of the mother rather than the hero and, and her journey which is way more heroic and way more epic yeah, than I know. probably she's... anything he's ever done <laughs> but they yeah no she's she's a real like she's a real hero there's a beautiful beautiful painting um the name is a very famous Finnish painter, but she um, they have drawn her like a like painted this. It's, it's just gorgeous. If you Google Lemminkainen's mother painting, it will come up. It's just mm. like the most wonderful, wonderful image. And we'll put a link at the bottom of yeah. Yeah, do please do have a look at it. It's quite. She's on, she's by the shore, and he's I think remade, but dead, and she's looking up. 
talking oh, to the bee. That image, mm. Of, mm. that is my favourite moment. It's so mm. gruesome. Mm. Reminds me, I don't know what I think of the mottled flesh imagery. It's quite like Frankenstein-y mm. with mm. that, that way that you sort of sewing them back together. It, mm. I, wonder what the, I wonder what the... Why, what that means or what, what the original kind of meaning of that that scenario is that he's like in bits and he's dead and she has to put him back together is you know that well, I mean it could, could be interpreted in lots of different ways I guess mm. anyway. the mother's journey is, is crops up I mean you tell beautifully the story of um, Balder as well and and mm. his mother Frigg oh, yeah, and that mm. link of mm. you know the mother going on the journey to mm. save their son it's it's really like poignant actually mm. and those two links together about mm. wanting to defy death literally mm. death mm. and put it uh, you know and stop it mm. and uh, funnily enough there's some similarities there of them asking those questions becoming things mm. and, and searching and journeying and asking it's, yeah, and not yeah. accepting it, I suppose. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And that's what happens in the Boulder one when she when she just says, "No, yeah. this isn't going to happen. No. I'm going to prove to you that this is not going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, convince every single thing." And you know, she just doesn't believe that someone would hurt her son. And obviously, you know, what makes that what that kind of like the usual version of that story so heartbreaking is that something you know happens because it is sort of inevitable. I suppose yeah. you can't mm. you can't hold back. No. You know, the flood. Um, in a way, but yeah, she manages to do it in this version of the story, in the Finnish one. Yeah, I mean, you just need a huge rake. Massive rake. A massive rake. Massive, massive (laughs) rake. But I think, you know, I think that happens, like, quite often in, like, mythology, like, somebody is, body parts are broken apart and need to be gathered Mm. together again. Um, I think there's definitely, like, an Egyptian kind of mythology. Mm. She, you know, she has to go out and kind of gather them up and remake them and re- resurrect them. It's incredibly significant, isn't mm. it? The symbolism behind parts of the body and the necessity to have a whole corpse, I guess, to a certain extent, to have the whole of the person. Mm. Yeah, That's and the fact that it doesn't work without something else, like you can put all the body back together and when mm. there's no, like, breath There's no love or yeah. something, then yeah. it can't be... Yeah, so that's where the bee comes in. Oh, the bee. I, I like the bee, bee. Too. Lovely Big fan one. of bees. Big yeah. fan of the, the heavenly bees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you choose any particular elements in it to sort of highlight or change, or was it all influenced directly from um, the original? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think it was one of like the first like myths I worked on. I think I was doing a workshop, and somebody, you know, they said you have to choose a bit of myth. So I thought, right, I'll go to the Kalevala, mm. and I sort of like started working on it like over the years and um, so it's it's really difficult to remember like when you go back to your sources and you're a bit like oh god did I change that because now the version that you tell sort of gets stuck in your head yeah because um, I know that in like in the I don't know the original poems of you that he does there's several tasks he has to go and mm. ski for the devil's elk as well but I think I had, a, I think I had a time constraint the first time I told it so I just went straight to the swan so I think it's I think it's literally as kind of practical as that that I only did like one thing oh I'd and love I never put, to I never put like the kind of like the rest of it back in um I'd like to hear the rest of those if they ever got developed I'd be really interested to hear the rest of his journey yeah I think she just you know sets in more impossible tasks really that end up with him going to the land of the dead Mm. Sounds like we should be doing a lemon kind of night. Yeah, I wish you, we should do you know maybe some more colourful things. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah, and it's like I think there's um, like I said, definitely not a colourful expert, but the, um, so it's 
there was a, a guy in kind of like late 1800s, he basically collected runes and poetry and songs, um, particularly around Karelia, which is um, the region um, where my family come from. And so he then knitted them together to form this, you know, big Finnish national epic, which is really important to like Finnish identity, I think, you know, as we were kind of like getting towards becoming independent. And but he obviously he made choices because you know you gather so much material it's like almost it's a literary work you know he made the decisions and I think there's somebody out there right now compiling like an alternative Kalevala that's less about gearing towards like the emerging of Christianity but more about like the like shamanic bear cults mm. or something wow. like that so again like I really don't know too much about that I, but I've heard like a couple from a couple of places there's somebody like up to that which sounds. They're really interesting. Oh, let's have a yeah. shamanic bear cult themed evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great title for an event. Shamanic, shamanic bear, bear cult. cult. <laughs> you know, like they're all they're all shamans in the colour You know, they're all shapeshifters and they're all you know, they have singing competitions and oh, wow. you know, it's, yeah. There's some really amazing imagery. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. How did you find the music on that one, Tim? Putting that together. Oh, it was nice. Uh, yeah, it's quite dark, isn't mm. it? It's quite like nasty. Uh, I like to use the distortion pedal. Mm, I like the distortion, which was made by a friend of mine, oh. Marcus Lee. Oh wow! Plug. <laughs> We've got a plug at least one or two people in these in these chats. Uh, yeah. Um, again, it's it's such nice word painting, and and I love. Uh, the bit I find hard is like changing from scene to scene without bringing too much attention to the fact that I'm stopping. Mm. I always try and like, okay, no one needs, people need to not notice that I'm stopping and changing. <laughs> but that was quite obvious. But was that obvious? I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I loved it. Did you? Did you did yeah, it no, work it's lovely. For you? It, it, it always worked for me. This mm. is like the first story that I think we did together. Like this, this is like oh, the yeah. first story that I ever did with Embers. So that was at uh, Women Warriors yeah. in um, Hackney Attic. And the picture has, was that the first one? That's the first one. The first one that Sarah Lisa did. did with yes. us, yeah, yeah. 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 So we so did yeah. a night of Women Warriors. We had Lemon Kyla, we had Queen Maeve. Mm-hmm. We had, I think that, I told a story. Yeah, yeah you, you did. did. Oh my God, yeah. That was wow. like the only time I told a story. Oh, you should do that again. Uh, maybe. No. <laughs> it was uh, um, Pine Leaf. The, oh. the Native American one that Rixie wrote, and I just sort of copied because he wasn't there, so I just pretended to be Rixie for a night. <laughs> and it was really hard actually because I was like, I could play and talk at the same time, and then I would be like playing, and then I'd be talking, and then I'd be like, um, okay, you haven't changed chord in about five minutes, <laughs> or changed, you're not even playing a rhythm anymore. So I just sort of like, t- you know, that bit in Kill Bill where he's like sitting around the fire, yeah, and he's telling the story of. Pie May, mm. and then he, he talks, and then he plays the, the flute. Yeah. It was a bit like that. So I'd say I'd say a line, and Pine Leaf uh, attacked one of the warriors in the other tribe. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> and then she stood up and stood her ground. Bling 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 bling. <laughs> That's quite Bounty really different. Yeah, <laughs> with myself. Yeah. Playing with myself. Yeah, the Women Warriors event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that was that was yeah first time we had Sarah Lisa which was wow it's still, I can't even imagine you not being in in it now I know me neither <laughs> taken over my life. <laughs> <laughs>
best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> Very lucky. <laughs> oh, it's great to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a total pleasure. Like it's amazing. Um, but yeah, because I remember like coming to rehearse with you, and I don't think I'd really done much with music before. Like I can't. If I have, then I can't really remember. And so it was really like strange to do it the first time. But now, like when I don't have music, I'm like, oh, I feel so empty. I know. It's yeah. Really Where's Tim? <laughs> I have the opposite feeling at the moment. Like, not not that mu- not the music is bad, but it it just changes things so much. Like this morning, Sarah Lisa was was telling me, she told me three stories that that um, we might do mm-hmm. for tonight's gig. Yes. Um, Although I don't know when this podcast is going out, so definitely it won't be tonight's gig yeah. when you listen it to this. So don't gig. turn up at this yeah. gig as it's already happened, <laughs> actually. Uh, but she told me three stories and I just didn't play. And I listened to them and it's so nice because when there's no music, the storyteller has way more power to change the mood. And all the nuances and all the subtleties come through so much stronger. When you have a bed of sound, it, dra- it drags things down to a certain extent and it can enhance them and if it's done right it can make everything more more gooder yeah but But, that's the key isn't it though when mm. it's done right and it is amazing because you Mm. do do it right and the experience you have of bringing kind of that like the right energy at the right moment Mm. is is really um sort of refined Mm. so i think that's always a pleasure well it's it's working progress and i think for any any mm. artist it's always a work in progress mm. you know during yeah. that recording we stopped kind of three mm. times because i was like you know what that went that went right let's do that again mm. um and i'll probably listen back and go do you know what that's not right that's too mm. <laughs> but you yeah you can't you can't just keep doing the same thing over again because you just have to put it out there and I know. learn from it it's hard though isn't it when you record things that's why i'm always like live performances you can't do anything about them because they're yes. done you know yeah. in a way it. you're a bit like because otherwise if I had the opportunity to keep on practicing something, I just would never leave my room. I would just continue to do it and never kind of go out because mm. that's yeah. why we brought you to another room so that you can leave. They <laughs> say that about uh, sound engineers say that about a mix of a song. They say a mix is never finished; it's only abandoned. Yeah. <laughs> oh I guess wow. So. Like, all right, that'll do. I can't deal with this anymore. Mm. Painters say that as well. Yeah. There's a point at which you have to put down the brush. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Mm. Well, on that note, um, let's put down our brushes. Mm. And um, (laughs) thank you very much for listening. Um, We've been the Embers Collective, and thank you so much for listening. And if you could check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well for our upcoming events. We've got loads of things going on. Um, But I've been Lonan Jenkins, and Sarah Lisa, Tim Carp, and Sean Kidd. Good night. Bye. Bye.